0: Welcome to the SPE Podcast, powered by the Society of Petroleum Engineers. You're listening to SPE Live, Causal Inferencing for Subsurface Engineering Applications. The audio from this episode was previously recorded on May 31st, 2023. And now your moderator, Ray Liu. Welcome to this SPE Live, on Causal Inferencing for Subsurface Engineering Applications. My name is Ray Liu, and I'm a Ph.D. candidate in the Harvard Wands Department of Petroleum Engineering at Texas A&M University. I will be your moderator today. Today's SPE Live will last 30 minutes. We encourage you to ask questions during the program. Now, it's my pleasure to introduce our guest, Dr. Dennis Smithrow. He is an Associate Professor at Texas A&M University. He is a researcher and educator in the field of subsurface monitoring and focusing for the exploration and production of subsurface engineering earth resources. In 2018, he received the U.S. Department of Energy Earlier Career Award, and in 2020, he was honored with four international awards for his contributions to exploration, geophysics, and petroleum engineering. Dr. Misra holds a Bachelor of Technology degree in Electrical Engineering from the Indian Institute of Technology, Bombay, and a PhD degree in Petroleum and Geosystems Engineering from the University of Texas at Austin. Dr. Misra, welcome to this SP Life.
1: Thank you, Ray, for this nice introduction. And one of the reasons I'm excited about today's discussion is you are joining and you're the person who has explored this world of causal inferencing with me. So I'm so happy that I can share the stage with you and share our experiences and knowledge on this topic with the wider SPE community.
0: Yeah, thank you for our time. We really appreciate the efforts you have put into sharing this knowledge. So I'll start to ask a few questions regarding to this topic. Again, focus on causal inferencing for subsurface engineering applications. We will start from a basic one. What is the fundamental objective of causal inference? And why is it important in various fields of studies?
1: Great. So that's a great starting question. Uh, Causal inference is a statistical method that quantifies causal effect between a treatment and an outcome so these are the two things that we are trying to relate there's a directionality from treatment to outcome we want to quantify the causal effect and to do this we have to control something called as confounders so these confounders are parameters or variables that influence both the treatment and the outcome if we can control the confounder then we can quantify the causal effect properly now uh, Causal inference is very popular in social sciences and economics. It helps design new policies, new strategies that can help uh, human lives, that can improve environment. Let me give you an example of treatment, outcome, and confounder from a petroleum engineering perspective. So let's say you want to introduce a new drilling fluid. So that will be a treatment a new drilling fluid. The outcome that you're looking for is the quality or the improvement in the rate of penetration. So that is the outcome. And the confounding effects will be the rock type you're drilling through, the depth at which you're drilling, uh, the pressure, the temperature conditions at which you drill, the drilling experience of the driller. So all those are confounding effects. If you take these confounding effects into control, then we can quantify the relationship of this new drilling fluid with the rate of penetration. Now, let me give you another example of where we can use uh, causal inference. These are just examples, and we can use it in a lot of different places. Uh, The other example is that you want to use a new simulation software. It's a numerical simulator that you want to use. So that is a treatment. And the outcome is the quality of forecasting, the accuracy of forecasting. And in this, the confounding effect will be the size of your team, the budget available, the data that is available to you, the quality of data that is available for simulation. So for this new treatment, which is a new simulator, the outcome is the accuracy of the So These are some examples of treatment, outcome, and confounders. Now, when should we use uh, causal inference? Anytime we want to introduce a modification or an intervention to an existing process, that's where we should use causal inference. Anytime we want to understand the impact of a new technology, new strategy, or a new design, causal inference will help you. Uh, if you want to understand a complex system where there are a lot of uh, multiple interacting variables, that's where causal inferencing will help us better understand the underlying mechanism. When not to use causal inference? Uh, when the data is limited, because All this causal inferencing requires a lot of data to process. Uh, Causal inferencing is not good if you're doing exploratory data analysis, because when you're exploring the data, all we care about are correlations. Uh, Causal inferencing is not good when we want to understand a very complex system. When a system becomes too complex, then causal inferencing might not help you uh, understand the true cause and effect. And the final thing, which is very important to keep in mind is if there are too many confounders, If there are some confounders that cannot be measured if there are some confounders that are unknown then this entire world of causal inferencing will be weak so ray from your experience what do you think how is the community using causal inferencing
0: yeah first i want to say i totally agree with your opinions cause and effect relationship help people to gain a better understanding of the different phenomena and for our research we could use causal inference to relate the crack propagation to the elastic waveform change captured by the wave transmission measurements around the material. And also our most recent research shows causal inference could also provide the essential insights for the policy making and also decision-making regarding to subsurface injection activities and their impact on seismicity. So it's really very helpful. Uh, Following that, you have mentioned the correlation stuff. So I'm wondering how does the causal inferencing differ from association or the correlation analysis? Okay.
1: So let me give you a very popular example of a correlation that a lot of us are aware of. Increase in the sales of ice cream and the increase in death due to drowning. Right? So there is a correlation between them the ice cream sales increase, the death due to drowning increases. There is no causation there, but there's a very strong correlation. Why is that? Because there's a confounding variable, which is the temperature. As the temperature increases, both the ice cream sales and uh, the drowning deaths, because a lot of people want to experience water, they want to go and swim. So, It's a correlation. And this example clearly tells us why we as engineers, scientists, researchers need to truly understand causation. Correlation can be misleading. All of us are so excited about machine learning. We we are using machine learning in a lot of different data-driven modeling tasks. Now, how do these machine learning methods work? They try to find patterns in the data. If the patterns in the data are good, then we can have a generalizable, uh, accurate, machine learning model. Now, what do I mean by good patterns? I don't mean correlations. Correlations can be misleading. What I believe is causation or causality-based patterns would be more useful for machine learning to make generalizable and accurate predictions. So, that's why I'm so excited about this world of causations. Now, let me explain Association. What is association? It is a quantification of statistical dependence between uh, two variables. Anytime one of the variable changes, is there a change in another variable? It, it's just a relationship. That is called association. To quantify association, we have methods such as mutual information score, F-test, Mutual information score quantifies non-linear as well as linear association and F-test quantifies linear association. Let me give you an example of correlation. Correlation is a type of association All correlations belong to the family of association, but not vice versa. What is correlation? Correlation quantifies the type of association between two variables. Now, Pearson's correlation tries to quantify linear association. Um, Spearman correlation tries to quantify monotonically increasing or decreasing relationships. What are causations? Causations quantify whether a change in one variable lead to change in another variable. The word that I'm using is lead. Does a change in one lead to a change in the other? It's not a relationship as such. It is trying to understand the cause and effect. There's a directionality between the treatment and the outcome. So, Ray, tell me from your experience, does causal inferencing, do these causal features help in machine learning? And if so, how do they do it? What's the secret behind it?
0: Yeah, like as you mentioned, for correlation, we have so many different approaches. And um, when you select different approaches, the correlation features are exactly different. So now we have more and more causal-based feature extraction or feature selection method have been developed in Python or in our language before we doing machine learning. That's because the causal effect relationship is stable across the different environments and is also stable with the different methods. On the other hand, compared to the correlation features, it could also help to overcome the drawbacks of the current machine learning approaches, such as the lack of generalizability and explainability. So causal inference, I believe it will be the key to break the black boxes in machine learning in future. So what's the underlying assumptions and principles that will guide the causal inference?
1: Yeah, all these different statistical methods generally have some set of limitations and assumptions. And anytime we use these, we have to be very careful of what those assumptions and limitations are. Now, what I mentioned, we need data to begin with. Without the data, uh, we cannot derive the causal effects. That's number one. The number two that I emphasize a lot of when not to use causal inferencing is related to confounders. So, let me tell you the limitations of causal inferencing from the point of view of confounders. Uh, One of the assumptions that these causal methods have is all the confounders in your system are known. That's number one. All the confounders are known. On top of that, the assumption is all the confounders are quantifiable and measurable. So you know them, and you can measure them. So that's a big limitation and an assumption in this method that we need to be careful. The next uh, assumptions and limitation is uh, we, these methods, they assume that all the samples are independent. What it means is when you apply a treatment to a sample that doesn't affect the outcome of another sample, That's a big assumption. Another assumption is causal effects are consistent in time, space, and uh, samples. What I mean by consistency is, let's say you're looking for a certain causal effect, a certain causal relationship. That should hold the test of time. It shouldn't be only specific for one specific time or one specific set of samples. Whatever you're deriving as a causal effect should be consistent across time, space, and samples. That's a very big uh, assumption out there. All these causal derivations that we achieve, they are probabilistic in nature. What I mean by probabilistic is, yes, you have derived a causal effect, but it's not necessary that you will always see that causal effect. An example is, we have proven, all of us have proven already through a lot of testing that smoking causes lung cancer. That causation has been quantified. But does it always cause lung cancer? No. Why? Because causation is probabilistic. That's what we we should keep in mind. Causation is context dependent. When I say context dependent, it means, uh, let's say, there will be some differences in the causal relationships that we achieve for one type of formation, for one type of reservoir versus completely different type of reservoir. What we observe in a hydrocarbon reservoir might not be valid for a geothermal reservoir. So there are there is context and we have to be aware of it what we derive for let's say uh, animals may not be valid for plants so always remember that these causal effects are context dependent causation is based on counterfactual that's a very big statement out there what i mean by counterfactual is everything that we derive in this causal world is generally hypothesis driven and they're hypothetical in nature we apply a treatment to one sample and we see the outcome. We apply uh, we don't apply a treatment to another sample and then we observe the outcome. So, there are two independent samples. On one, we are applying the treatment. On the other, we are not applying the treatment. This is called counterfactual. We cannot study the effect of applying a treatment and not applying a treatment on the same sample. So that's what we should be aware of. Whenever we design the data that we need for causal quantification, we have to be sure that we have done enough randomization. What I mean by enough randomization is the control group and the treatment group should be exactly similar, except the fact that on one of them, the treatment was made and on the other, the treatment was not made. They should be similar in all other aspects, especially when it relates to confounders. And one final thing when we look into causal relationships is treatment and outcome has a temporal precedence. What I mean by that is treatment has to occur before the outcome all the time. So these are the list of assumptions. It's very easy to say that uh, uh, we, are, we can quantify causations, but if any of these assumptions are not met, we have to be careful and we have to design our causal study accordingly.
0: Yeah, I believe all of those limitations make causal inference very challenging, especially in our oil and gas industry. And then uh, following that, I wonder what are some common methods or approaches used in causal inference from your opinions?
1: Lovely. So... um I'll, I'll explain some of these methods and tools, but at the end I would like your input as well because you have explored the world of all these causal inferencing tools that are out there. So let me start by um, sharing how do we approach a causal inferencing work. So the first thing is to design something called as DAG. These are called directed acyclic graph. Directed in the sense There is always a directionality between two connecting uh, variables. So let's say we have uh, 10 variables. We have to create a DAG or a graph that connects each of these variables. So there is a directionality. That's why it's called directed. Acyclic means there is no loop in this graph. Uh, So once we created this DAG, uh, we can then go ahead with our causal inferencing. When we are creating the DAG, that's where we pour in a lot of our domain knowledge. We bring in a lot of our um, knowledge about the system. Based on the knowledge of the system, we design the DAG, that's step number one. The second step is to figure out how are you going to control the effect of confounding. And and it's very easy to say it, but it's very difficult to implement. And the reason is you have to be clear uh, in terms of the nature of the data that you're working with. In the engineering world, most of our data is observational in nature. In the medical world, in the world of economics where new policies are being uh, designed, maybe you will have data that follow uh, randomized controlled trial type of data. Uh, Approach, But in the engineering and sciences world, mostly the data is observational in nature, and that's why we have to design a proper method to control the confounding effects. In terms of the design, there are primarily three or four approaches. Number one is called matching. Number two is called stratification. Uh, Number three is called regression-based analysis. So these are different ways in which you try to balance the control group and the treatment group so that you can quantify the causal relationships better. In terms of the algorithms that we in our research team have generally used, the popular algorithms that we have used are double machine learning and doubly robust learning, DML, DRL. These methods have helped us quantify causal relationships. It can only be applied after we create the dag based on the knowledge then we figure out ways to control the confounding and design all the confounders properly and then we apply dml or drl double machine learning or doubly robust learning on this data double machine learning this word seems very interesting uh, anytime we hear the word machine learning we get excited now there is double machine learning, which means uh, we are using machine learning twice. What does that mean? How does this help us quantify the relationship? Basically, what happens here is we are breaking the relationship between the treatment, the outcome, and the confounder into two, into, sorry, into three regression tasks. The first regression task tries to understand the relationship of the treatment and the outcome. The second Regression task helps us understand the relationship between confounder and the treatment. And the third task helps us quantify the relationship between the residuals of the first regression and the residuals of the second regression. Residual means errors. So when we relate the errors of the first regression and the second regression, the beauty is we end up with the causal coefficients. We end up with coefficients that quantify Causation. And generally, the metric that we use is called uh, average treatment effect. Now, there are a lot of packages out there to apply all these different techniques to build the DAG. Uh, Ray, do you have uh, some insights into what tools, what packages can some of our listeners can use?
0: Yeah. Uh, the most popular one and the uh, most recent one is called Do which is developed by Microsoftware. And related right before that, we also have Icon ML and they are from the same company. So usually we combine to use this two to make sure we have enough methods and approaches. Yeah, that's that's two. And we also have other packages from our language. Those two are from Passon. And then uh from as you mentioned there are also all of the methods and the approaches will be um, defined by the problem we have and also the data we have
1: got it now yeah. in terms of tools and packages as you mentioned econ ml and do I are popular packages uh, yes microsoft is involved with econ ml right
0: Yes.
1: Okay. And what about do why? Is it also from the Microsoft uh, community? Yeah,
0: they are from the same company.
1: Okay, perfect. Yeah. Uh, and these are available as open source packages for us to use. Am I correct?
0: Yeah, sure.
1: Great. Now, uh, when we decide, so in these packages, there are a lot of different methods. I mentioned double machine learning, doubly robust learning, and there are many more methods out there if you look at the list of methods maybe there are like 20 to 25 different methods which methods should you use for us we chose dml and drl the reason is we is the nature of the treatment is the nature of the outcome that we have is the type of confounders we have so what we have to also understand first before choosing the method in the packages is your treatment categorical uh, is your treatment linear in nature Is there heterogeneity in the treatment? Is the outcome a single outcome or a multiple outcome? Uh, Is your treatment a single treatment or a multiple treatment? All the treatments that you are applying, is that a high dimensional space or a low dimensional space? So all these different things needs to be first analyzed. And accordingly, you will decide which method to use in those two popular packages. You will design the DAG, you will control the confounding, and then you'll apply some of these techniques to obtain uh, the causal relationships. Now, Ray, you have used some of these packages, some of these methods on a problem where you try to quantify the relationship between fracture propagation and how the waveform changes. Whenever there's a fracture propagation, there'll be a change in waveforms that you measure what kind of waveforms? I'm talking about wave transmission. As the wave transmits and a fracture propagates, there'll be interaction and the measurements will get affected. In that work, you try to understand the causal relationship between wave propagation and the, sorry, the fracture propagation and the change in waveform. Can you tell me your approach? And did you find anything interesting in terms of cause and effect relationship in that work?
0: Yes, the objective of that study is to identify the causal signatures of crack propagation by analyzing the wave transmission measurements. And we have, developed, we have uh, discovered 30 uh, different features. We have found the, atri- the attributes associated with the waveform fluctuations, such as the number of recurring number and the sum of recurring values and the variation coefficient of the waveforms are the dominant causal signatures that are largely influenced by the fracture propagation. The newly discovered causal signatures confirm that the statistical correlation or association and the conventional feature rankings are not reliable indicator of the causality. With the causal features, more studies could be developed to improve the fracture monitoring prediction and the early warning systems. That will be helpful in future.
1: I think Ray has a slight weak connection. Ray, uh, your connection is weak. So maybe, uh, yeah, I can kind of uh, take care of what you're saying. So what you figured out is uh, when the fracture propagates, the waves, they change in their uh, signal, in their uh, form. And the biggest change that Ray found is something that has to do with fluctuations in the wave. How many times does that wave cross a particular threshold value that is called recurrence number? Uh, So the recurrence number, the sum of recurrence, and uh, there was another feature that Uh, Ray found through this causal analysis that you couldn't have found through a traditional correlation. And when she uses these features, she can do a better prediction of wave propagation in a material. Now, let me give you one final example, and then we can go into Q&A. In another work, we used causal inference to better understand uh, the micro seismic events. What I mean by that is, how is one micro seismic event Related to its neighbors in space and time. So there are some micro seismic events that are closely spaced. There are another set of my- micro seismic events that are uh, spaced closely in time. So, how's this time and space relationship affecting a particular micro seismic event? So, for this particular task, we used data generated uh, in two horizontal wells in Marcellus Shale. Uh, this data was generated. Through the MSEAL project funded by DOE, we used double machine learning as the approach to understand the cause and effect relationship between the neighboring micro seismic events and the new micro seismic event that occurs due to the effect of the neighboring microseismic events. In this work, we created a list of confounders, for example, breakdown pressure, surface treating pressure, pump rate, stage length, propent stage concentration clusters per stage, average time of occurrence of an event, average distance of that microseismic event from the well. These are all the list of confounders that we could quantify and measure. What we wanted to understand is how is the magnitude of events in a region related to the occurrence of a new event And when I say a new event, we are looking at the magnitude, the time, and the location of this new event. And we found some very interesting observations that we couldn't have found through uh, a simple correlation study. One example is uh, the magnitude of a new microseismic event doesn't depend on the number of neighboring events, and it doesn't depend upon the spatial and temporal concentration Of the neighboring events. That was a very interesting uh, observation that we could derive from a cause and effect analysis. Another observation that we figured out is regions that have high magnitude prior events generally lead to new large magnitude micro seismic event. In terms of occurrence, what we figured out is a high concentration region of events where there's a lot of events in time and space uh, there won't be any causal relationship between that and the occurrence of new events. Regions with high-magnitude prior events lead to a late occurrence of new micro events. So with that, maybe uh, we can take uh, one or two questions. Ray, did you find any interesting question that we can answer?
0: Yeah. Uh, we have some questions from audience. Yeah. The first one is question from LinkedIn by Kamar. Does the causal inferencing mentioned can be mainly used in feature engineering stage of yeah. machine learning or the AI project?
1: So that's what we want to do. There are a lot of packages for reducing the dimensionality of the data through correlation and association-based study. What we want to do is we want to bring in uh, causal-based features and use them for developing more reliable machine learning projects.
0: Yeah, we also have another one from the LinkedIn side deck. Why cannot we use multiple linear regression algorithm to know the relationship between all the variables or the outcome instead of double machine learning?
1: yeah so uh, this is an interesting question and one of the reasons we can't do that is there will be bias there'll be a regular regularization bias if you just use a single multiple linear regression algorithm the reason being there is a strong effect between the treatment and confounders so if you build that linear regression model you have the treatment and confounder and the coefficients Uh, will be non-unique. Each time you run it, you will get slightly different coefficient because there's a relationship between the treatment and confounder. To break that relationship, we have to break that regression problem into three regression steps that is used in this double machine learning approach. Double machine learning is great when your treatment is continuous and your outcome uh, is continuous. If your treatment is categorical, zero and one, then you should use doubly robust learning.
0: Yeah, great. Dr. Meusura, thank you so much for your insights and to our audience. Thank you for joining us today. We'll see you next time. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the SPE Live podcast. For more content, visit the SPE Energy Stream, the industry's digital pulse at streaming.spe.org. If you enjoyed today's show, don't forget to subscribe and review. Join us next time on the SPE Live podcast.